Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Cosmic Car Wash podcast. Jacked about today. Yeah. Yes. This is good. Good. How's your week been? I've been really good. Very good. good. Very good. Yeah, we've had some good interactions in the devotions and... Yeah, yeah, very. Man, uh, my time in the Word this week has been... I was sat on the couch this morning and just cried in the presence of God, and it was awesome and heartbreaking and beautiful all at the same time, so... That's cool. I was pacing in my driveway this morning, praying, talking to mm. God, and I got teared up as well. So yeah. interesting. Good. So, I mean, I feel good about that, you know, coming into this uh, this podcast. Um, yeah, we're calling this one God Unfiltered. And I'd like to read a quote from John Eldridge's book, All Things New, which is what got me started on this. And I think the before I read this, maybe the title is a little cryptic, but I think once I read it, uh, people okay. will understand, and I kind of pitched the idea to you, Rick. So uh, if everyone will just bear with me here, um, I will read uh, a page or so from John Eldridge's book, All Things New. Um, it is an absolutely fantastic book, Heaven, Earth, and the Restoration of Everything You Love. Um, this is actually my second time through it. But I'm reading from uh, page 191, and he quotes from Luke 19, uh, verses 12 through 14. A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But, and this is kind of the crux of our podcast today, but his subjects hated him and sent a, del a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. So then John Eldridge writes, startling, inconceivable, but not everyone wants the joys of heaven on earth for the simple reason that they do not want Jesus to be king. His presence fills the kingdom. Uh, quoting from Revelation 21, 23, John writes, the city does not need the sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light. And then John Eldridge continues, if you do not enjoy the highly filtered experience of his presence available now, what will you do when it goes before you, when it is before you in fullness of glory? Theologian Gary Black gently asks, what is key for us to wrestle with and resolve for ourselves is whether the destiny of eternal living is something we truly desire. God is the sort of person who would let anyone into heaven who could possibly stand it. Therefore, a great measure of what God will determine or judge is, is the degree to which any human being is prepared for the intensity of his being. Mm. And if in the end we would thrive or shrivel in despair and run for cover under such weighty, glorious circumstances. As Jesus' parable of Lazarus and the rich man reveals in Luke 16, being out of God's presence was perhaps the most graceful thing God could have allowed for the rich man, given the choices he made and the person he had become. Oh. Yeah, and when I read that, just thought that that part about right now we experience a highly filtered version of God's glory. It is God's glory, but it's tamped down by all of the stuff of living life outside of Eden. But when heaven and earth fully overlap again and heaven comes to earth, we have God completely unfiltered and What's that going to be like? And so the, the, my goal in kind of 
suggesting this as our subject for today mm -hmm. uh, wasn't to like have all the answers, but just to kind of explore this the way you and I do in conversation and see yeah. what is what does it mean to have God unfiltered and what kind of people either want God unfiltered or don't want God at all. And so I have some other quotes from C.S. Lewis and Dallas Willard, you know, who we both dearly love. Um, but yeah, just when you read that, Rick, what are your initial reactions? And, you know, kind of what have you found as you know, you've been looking over this the last week? Uh, those are just incredible, um, uh, breathtaking uh, quotes. And you're right. You, I don't think there is... Um, even a bearded scholar on the planet that can truly approach this thing uh, completely and in depth, <clears throat> because you're right. We, we get God, we get little tiny glimpses and, and bits and pieces and even, you know, revivals when he injects himself into human life and into time as we know it. And, and, you know, people are, I mean, like the Smith and revival, which you and I are very familiar with, yep. that was a moment um, that changed my life as well as yours. And, and you know, we were believers then. Um, and, uh, you know, I found that uh, another example is when, uh, you know, the Israelites were led to Mount Sinai mm -hmm. and they couldn't stand. I mean, they were terrified of God's presence. So they lobbied for a different arrangement. You go, Moses, and we'll look at you. And even then they had trouble looking at Moses' face. Moses' face, yep. You know, I mean, the brilliance of God's presence. And I, I often wonder, you know, especially since we've heard the message of the great renewal. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that are really um, devoted to, uh, you know, the end time judgment, apocalypse, vengeance, you know, and the fire and, you know, yeah, turn a burn, you know. Right. And um, the Bible says that, God is a consuming fire and that his glory will cover the earth. Yes. I think that's God unfiltered is his presence. He's not coming in fury and anger and hatred and vengeance. He's just coming as who he is and he is a consuming fire. Yeah. Ooh. And uh, that's where the corruption of the world will not stand in his presence, in his glory, in mm. his holiness, his purity, his benevolence, his unbelievable, immeasurable charity and sacrifice. Nothing can stand in that. Right. And um, like, you know, the Israelites, they said, you go, we'll wait here. And then when you come down, they couldn't even look at his face. And that's pretty profound. And uh, I love this. And you've quoted this before. It was from um, uh, C.S. Lewis's book, um, um, oh man, isn't it just slipped my mind? Um, about Aslan. Oh, uh, Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, Chronicles. That's it. Yeah. I love that. When, uh, what's her name? Uh, Lucy asks about the lion. Oh, and she yeah. thought he was a man. Yeah. And, uh, uh, uh what did you say? Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Miss, Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's good. Ooh. He's the king, I tell you. Oh, it just gives me chills, man. You know? Um, and that's, yeah, I... I 
There is going, there is coming a day when the unfiltered presence of God is going to cover the earth. And he's bring, and that's the great renewal when, when everything is made due. And that's the, you know, when we read the scripture that all creation groans in anticipation for the revealing of the sons of God, that's the revelation. That's the apocalypse. Uh, that no, is the apocalypse. Yeah. Right. And it's not gloom and doom and zombies and a smoldering dirt cloud spinning in space and us on rocket ships going to our, you know, celestial clouds with golden harps and right. a hard drive, hard drive wipe. No, it is brand new. Everything is made brand new in that presence. And um, just a, a couple of things, and I'll turn it back over to you, uh, you know, talking about Babel, the Tower of Babel, and those mm -hmm. people, they were, and I think what happens is that we're, we're interested in God. We're just not interested in all of God. Ooh. We're interested in bits and pieces and just based on our, you know, uh, tastes and preferences, how much, you know, we just want to, you know, I know, I know a little about God. You know, I heard someone say a long time ago, it might've been Steve Gray. He said, yeah, you know, you can get anyone, even a drunk to, um, argue pol or religion with you, but you can't get anybody to discuss quantum physics. You know, <laughs> um, everybody has an opinion. Um, right. Yeah. But, you know, there's all kinds of speculation about Babel and historians. And, and I, I love Tim Collins and uh, or Tim Mackey and John Collins. I always get their names mixed up from the Bible <laughs> Project. Love those guys. Yes. And, uh, yeah, they uh, – those people, when they built that, they were not interested in – they didn't want to get to God. They didn't want to bring God down. They were trying to make a name for themselves. Right. They wanted to make a name. They wanted to be God. Right. And uh, there's a lot of churches, you know, and I hate saying churches. There's just so much, so many preachers on YouTube and everything. They're, they're preaching against other preachers instead of just preaching the gospel. Just preach the good news. <laughs> just preach the good news. I know it's just enough already. And, uh, but everybody, I mean, I think it's human nature and human desire to make a name for yourself. But Jesus is very specific. Unless you die to yourself. Right. You know, and, and yeah, and it doesn't have to be a bloody, grotesque, uh, you know, long drawn out, hyper dramatic, you know, dying scene from an old right. movie. It's basically just saying no and right. saying yes to the unfiltered presence of God. One more thing. I love this. I wrote it the other morning about, uh, uh, what was his name? Bez, Bezalel? Be Bezalel, yes. Bezalel. Probably not saying that as well as Tim Mackey would, but <laughs> Bezalel yeah. is a... Oh, that was such a good, um, a good devotion. And I know I printed it out somewhere, at least I thought I did. Anyway, he's the one that built the ark. Yes. Yeah, he was chosen out of like two and a half, approximately two and a half million people, built the ark, constructed mm -hmm. painstaking. He was the, you know, uh, a, an incredible craftsman. And... Uh, time and, and shaped the Ark of the Covenant. You know, what an incredible thing. Just a hair. Yeah. 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 To do. And, you know, that was his, that was his baby. That was his project, his puppy, you know, and that was, I mean, one of the, the centerpiece of the sanctuary, the Ark of the Covenant. And he made it. Bez yeah. made it. And, you know, and I, I wrote some things about, I, you know, I wonder if he bragged about it. I would. I mean, 100%. <laughs> hey, you see it? Yep, that's mine. Check it out. Oh, yeah. 
wonder if those guys know I, you know, I made that, you know, right. the priests are they're, well, they're holding it wrong. You know, they should have let me, you know, I, I mean that, that, that attachment to that incredible accomplishment yeah. and, um, you know, he followed the ark like everybody else and the ark followed the cloud. But the saddest thing is that he, he didn't follow the ark into the land of promise, into the picture of Eden. He didn't go. Mm. Even though he built that thing and made it, told his kids about it, probably told his friends about it. When other, you know, his neighbors and those close to him saw, they probably smacked him on the shoulder. Hey, Bess, it looks good, man. Hey, do you think he could work on some stuff at my house? (laughs) My bathroom needs refinished. Right. I got this old chest, you know, (laughs) it squeaks a lot and it looks just rotting, you know, um, but he didn't get to go. Um, And and he was also among the people that didn't want to see God. Right. Yeah. So, you know, your reference to that was when the 12 spies went in and spied out the land. Ten came back with the bad report, and only right. Joshua and Caleb. And yeah, he believed ten cowards over two uh, gallant, faithful men. Yeah, uh, and even though he, you know, it's interesting, Paul. <clears throat> those people they saw incredible miracles that so fantastical that we can't even imagine them unless we see them on a movie. And even then, we know it's special effects, right? You know, um, incredible. Um, rescues and uh, repair and supply and provision and healing from God to take care of all of these people. And, um, you know, it's easy to armchair quarterback it on a Monday morning and look and go, yeah, we're a bunch of idiots, you know, but they did. And so none of those people, even the people that worked on the sanctuary, they didn't go. Guy who built the Ark of the Covenant did not cross the Jordan, you know. Yeah, and uh, you know it's not to be, you know, definitely it's not a message of, you know, you know, you need to get it right. It's it's love. It's it all boils down to to loving God. How much do you love Him? Because His love is immeasurable. He loves us. That is undeniable. Yeah. But you know. Um, how much uh, I find myself daily, Paul Daly, <laughs> I, just, I find myself just seriously longing for the great renewal, longing for his presence. I find myself thinking, you know, taking deep breaths. I do that almost every day and thinking, you know, yeah. one day the corruption of the world will be gone. You know, but I also know I can't be idle now. I can't look at my accomplishments. I can't look at the things that I built and I made. And, you know, yeah, that's, you know, thank you, Lord. You know, I have to go beyond those things. And so I know I'm rambling, so I'm going to kick it your way. And um, listen to your thoughts. I love it. There's so many things from Scripture now as we talk about this stuff. um, You know, it's like puzzle pieces start to fall into place. And it this whole thing of do I want God to rule over me or don't I, it started even before the Garden of Eden. I mean, Satan said, I will not have you rule over me. I will rule in your place. And that did not work out well for him. Um, And then he slithered into the Garden of Eden and said, hey, you can decide for yourself what's right and wrong. You don't need God to tell you this. And they took for themselves 
the power of deciding good and bad. And they were ejected from the garden and led to uh, the Tower of Babel and Babylon. Um, but then I was thinking about Jesus on his way to the cross. Um, he stood and looked over Jerusalem and wept and said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have longed to gather you like mm. a hen gathers her chicks, but you wouldn't have it. And now your city is left to you desolate. He was prophesying that Jerusalem had an opportunity to say, yes, Jesus, you are the Messiah. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But they rejected him. And in 70 AD, Rome right. came in and leveled the city and murdered everyone. Everyone. The streets were lined with crosses. They literally ran out of wood right. to crucify people. Wow. And that's just the horrible result of of deliberately choosing not to be ruled by God. It doesn't have to be that way. We can say, I mean, the shameless plug for an earlier episode of ours, uh, open hands, like every yeah. day. We say it in the beginning of our, uh, in our, in our introduction to our podcast, that who we are matters and what we do matters right. infinitely because who we are now is who we will be for eternity. You know, going back to Gary's Black that, quote, that uh, the the most gracious thing that God could have done for the rich man is not let him into heaven because he wanted nothing to do with God in this life. And he would have been miserable in heaven because there, everybody and everything is all about God all the time. And you know, he chose that. And this actually reminds me, uh, kind of dovetails nicely with the quote that I read from Dallas Willard. This is powerful the more you think about it. He said, one does not miss heaven by a hair, but by constant effort to avoid and escape God. That uh, Paul wrote that in the book of Romans, um, that God's witness is everywhere, all the time, anybody in every language, every point throughout history, every race, nation, tribe, tongue has an experience of God and we are without excuse. So we have to repeatedly reject God to miss the good things that he has for us. And wow. Yeah. That's, I heard somebody else say, and I don't know who to attribute the quote to. So, uh, but it says, uh, to get to hell, you have to squeeze by the cross to do it. Something to that effect of like, you right. really got to work at that. Because that's interesting. Yeah. And Peter goes on to say, uh, the reason that Jesus is delayed in returning is because God doesn't want anyone to perish, but he wants right. everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But he's waiting and giving us opportunity after opportunity. And I believe in my humble opinion, I'm not a scholar or a theologian, and I can't immediately think of any scriptures to support this. So take it for what it's worth. I think that the only people that will make it into the great renewal are the only people that would ever make it into the great renewal. And if we wait, if God waited another 10,000 years, those people would not come in and C.S. Lewis actually in the um, great divorce. had another great quote. Um, I think it was from the great divorce um, where he, in, in the book, he is dialoguing with um, 
like a spiritual mentor and I won't go into the whole structure of the book, but it's really beautiful. But it's about this, this particular quote is that, um, that the people that refuse to be happy can't blackmail heaven so that none of us experience the glory and the presence of God until they're ready to accept God on their own terms. Right. I've got it here. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Read it. It's very yeah, revealing. Yes. Lewis from the great divorce. I know. I love this thing. I had it on my fridge for the longest time. Yeah. The demand of the loveless and the self-imprisoned that they should be allowed to blackmail the universe that until they consent to be happy on their own terms, no one else should taste joy. There should be the final power and hell should be able to veto heaven. Either the day must come when joy prevails and all makers of misery are no longer able to infect it or else forever the makers of misery can destroy in others the happiness they reject for themselves. I know it has a grand sound to say you'll accept no salvation which leaves even one creature in the dark outside. But watch that sophistry or you'll make a dog in a manger, the tyrant of the universe. That is so powerful. And that word sophistry means an argument that seems plausible, but is fallacious, misleading, or deliberately devised. <clears throat> so, yeah, that, it, but you know what? I'm sure you have, and I have, I've heard people say that, you know, well, and if God was loving, then nobody would go to hell. hell. I and again, he doesn't want anyone to. Yeah, but you you uh, made that some time ago a great comparison. It's never left me about you know that this world is the Titanic. Everyone knows it's sinking, and it's surrounded by boats of salvation, God's presence, kindness, generous, yes, uh, benevolence. Uh, it, you know, all they're just all around the boat, and a lot of people are getting off and and getting on those other boats, but some people just refuse to get off, even though it's sinking. Yeah. And um, you're right. And I, I, you know, you can't, I mean, we can't approach it from, oh, well, good riddance. <laughs> we can't look at No. We can't, yeah. No, we have to be eaten now. We have to compel people. I mean, we can't, you know, hog tie them, coerce them. Um, you know, drag them into the kingdom. Right. Uh, but love, love conquers all love covers all. Uh, and uh, sometimes that's all some people need. And then other times you're right. If 10,000 years passed, they still wouldn't go. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that what happens though is religion has a way of stifling all of these good things, even stifling, um, you know, the glory of God, that God, it filters him. And we end up through our doctrines and our tenets and, and our, you know, religious dogma where, you know, just layer after layer after labor, by the time we get a little bit, you know, just maybe just even just a, a twinkling, you know, for a moment. And then we get caught up in uh, um, just those traditions and um, we miss his glory, it, it literally is filtered. We're looking at it, you know, uh, and Moses's face with a filter on it. And I wrote this the other day in one of our devotions. And I pulled the quote from the devotion. God is primarily concerned with receiving glory from our lives. And I wrote context is everything. Because yes. just to read that, you know, kind of makes him sound like a, you know, um, selfish and egotistical. You know, I want glory. 
you know? Right. And that is so far from who he is. Right. Without the experience of the knee-buckling, breathtaking love of God, sounds rather egotistical, my readers. To be able to bless and thank God through daunting circumstances, debilitating trauma, or complete financial meltdown is no easy task. To be honest, without a reciprocal relationship with a good, good father, the average person isn't capable of such a response. Or isn't, yeah. Um, and I wrote some things that are going on that, in our lives. And um, God is, uh, is that really... The glory he wants is Eden. He wants family. Yes. And uh, I know one of my prayers and uh, of uh, for some time now is that once a year, I would like to be able to gather all of our kids. They're spread out all over and uh, at a big house in the Outer Banks or, you know, someplace that we can all gather. It's a good place to relax, enough bedrooms and bathrooms for everyone and just spend a week with a long table. And Janet and I can listen to the sounds of life, hmm. the sounds of fellowship and family and friendship and joy and laughter yeah. and, and legacy. And when I think of that, Paul, I think of God sitting at his table, listening to creation Yeah, and that joy. And I know a long time ago when Cheyenne and I were finally reconciled and I was ready to ball on the back deck. And uh, before I could even say a word, he said, that's how I feel about you. Yeah. And I have, uh, he has slowly and gradually revealed the heart that he has. Because for the longest time, I'm sure that many, many people, you know, maybe some of our listeners, had looked at him like this angry, surly curmudgeon who's yelling at everybody to get off his lawn. We, yeah, and, I mean, we used to look at him that way. Until, yes. Yeah. And it's debilitating and exhausting and, uh, oh, so discouraging most times. And you end up beating yourself up over and over again. And you know all he wants? He's the guy that's going to jump off the porch and run to meet you when you're coming home from the pig pen because you made a bad decision and you got mad at him and asked for what you wanted now. And he lets you go. Yeah. But he always wanted you to come back. Yeah. And I think that's because like those two brothers in the prod of the parable of the prodigal that grew up in the same house with the same dad and never knew him. Right. They never knew their father. And I think that's sometimes is the biggest obstacle for a lot of people is they don't really know their father. Right. They know this far away, angry God, but he's not angry. Right. He poured out his wrath on himself at the cross and not because of, us or what we did, but because of evil and sin and corruption in the world yeah. and his glory, his unfiltered glory. This is what I believe. I'm not a theologian. It, he is a consuming fire. Yeah. And when he comes back and he covers the earth, his presence is going to be that you're like you said, I mean, you won't, you can't stand in it and everything, the sorrow, the loss, the trauma, the loneliness, the brokenness yeah. is gone. It's yeah. gone. And it's just, we are like, we're made like Jesus. It's going to burn know? up all of the stuff that we don't like yes. anyway. Like we know everybody on the planet knows that <clears throat> it shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't, right. there shouldn't be pain and death and war and division and strife yes. and 
anger and famine jealousy and, and poverty. Yep. Yeah, it shouldn't be that way. And that's the stuff that God's unfiltered glory, his fire is like a surgeon's scalpel that goes in and takes it all out. And only thing that's left is the good stuff because he yes. is the giver of every good gift. Yes. Yeah. He is life. He is Eden. He is paradise. Yeah. He's provision. He's peace. He's purpose. Oh my gosh. He is good. Yeah. Just good. like Lucy said, he is good. Yeah. And it has to start now. Like we, we, yes. we beat this drum every single episode is right. we can't live our lives however we want now and just assume that we're going to frolic around in eternity for heaven. It doesn't work that way. Like God's going to honor the choices that we make. And I was talking with a friend of mine just earlier this afternoon before we recorded this and uh, was telling him our plans for the podcast. And he's like, Oh man, he's like, I need to work on me right now. He's like, cause I want to want God more. And yeah. Like, that's it, man. Like we've all got stuff we got to work on, but that's the right, you're, you're on the right path. Like if that's your response to hearing God unfiltered is, Oh man, I need God more right now. You got it. Like keep going with that, you know? Like hold life with open hands and grab a hold of as much of God as you can get and just keep doing that every single day. And then when Jesus returns, it'll be the great day of the Lord, not the terrible day of the Lord for you. Right. Yeah. He's, he's not coming in vengeance or fury. No. He's just coming in glory. Yeah. His presence is that fire. Yeah. That's, so yeah. that's what I believe. People are waiting for that, you know, that horrible day, but he is a consuming fire. Yeah. And, and that's where his love and his kindness are is in that. Yeah. It's just who he is. It's his, his character, his honor. Yeah. The goodness of his name. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I debated whether or not to read this other quote from Dallas Willard. Um, but I think that it fits and, Unless there's something else that's really burning on you, I think this may be a good place to kind of leave it and just let folks ponder because it's something that I am pondering. Um, so he was interviewed by uh, a magazine, and they were kind of running the scenario of, okay, there's this young woman who has grown up in church, but she's gone away to college, and now she is questioning her faith and life like a lot of college students do. And so speaking for this, um, fictitious young woman, the, the magazine says, but I still struggle with how I should view those who have other beliefs. I'm not sure I'm ready to condemn them as wrong. I know some very good Buddhists. What is their destiny? And I think Dallas Willard's insight on this is brilliant and possibly pretty controversial, but I think when you can, when we consider it in the context of scripture, he's onto something. So he says, I would take her to Romans 2, 6 through 10. God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. What Paul is clearly saying is that if anyone is worthy of being saved, they will be saved. At that point, many Christians get very anxious, saying that absolutely no one is worthy of being saved. 
the implication of that is that a person can be almost totally good, but miss the message about Jesus and be sent to hell. What kind of a God would do that? I'm not going to stand in the way of anyone whom God wants to save. I am not going to say he can't save them. I am happy for God to save anyone he wants in any way he can. Hmm. Is it possible for someone who does not know Jesus? He says, it is possible for someone who does not know Jesus to be saved. When I read that, I was like, all right, I need to think about this for a little bit. Uh, But he goes on to say, but anyone who is going to be saved is going to be saved by Jesus. There is no other name given under heaven by which men can be saved. Wow. And just highlighting the fact that for the people that want God unfiltered, Jesus knows how to get to you. Wow. And that is the best news. Like he has literally done everything to make it possible for us to enjoy the goodness of God unfiltered for eternity. You're right. He knows how to find us no matter where we are. If you want him, he'll find you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And he's not mad. He's not mad. Yep. He's not mad Uh, at you. All right. Thank you so much for going with us on this. Again, we don't claim to have all the answers. We are not scholars or theologians. I don't have a THD or a PhD or an MD or any other, (laughs) you know, doctoral degrees. Um, But I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express. (laughs) So Um, did I. (laughs) Yeah, we're just two guys who love God and want to pass on what God is doing in us and with us and through us. So we would love to hear from you. Um, You can leave comments in the devotion. You can please, please, please hit the subscribe button. uh, And the like button. And the like button. Lay hands. Lay hands on the like button. And you can can email us at info at the cosmic car wash.com. Thank you so much for, for joining us. And we'll be back here again next week. Yes.